Good morning, church. As always, buenos dias, mis hermanos y hermanas, y las bendiciones de Dios. Dios es bueno todo el tiempo. Uh, it's good to see everyone here today. You know, the reason we congregate both here physically and online or anywhere we can as God's family is because we really want to celebrate our salvation in Christ. We sometimes forget that worship, though it can be very somber, as it ought to be many times, and very reflective, it's joyous. And the reason we've come together is because we're saved. And if you're here and you're not in Christ and you're not therefore saved, then God bless you for being here. Only God knows it and you know it. And it is certainly my prayer, our prayer, that the Lord can use his word to show you the way, the path to heaven. So, as was just read in Philippians 3.20, you also can say, my citizenship is in heaven. Now, what we've been doing, at least last week, we just started this, is going through the book of Philippians. We're going to take five Sundays. I've done one. This is, you know, numero dos. This is the second one. Um, and what I want to do, uh, I don't have a slide about it, but what I really want to do, as I showed you last week, is give you four building blocks to joy uh, as reflected in the book of Philippians. In the first chapter, Paul talks about fellowship. In chapter 2, he talks about service. In chapter 3, intimacy. In chapter 4, he talks about our commonwealth is in heaven. We are citizens of heaven. So therefore, if you read through you know, all four chapters of Philippians, which takes all of maybe 12 or 13 minutes, if you read through it, you're going to see these building blocks stock, uh, 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 stacked one after the other. The first one, the large one, is citizenship. Once we really get it, that, and it's not a morbid thought at all, but once we really understand that we are passing through en route to our heavenly home, then other things fall in place perseverance and, and intimacy and so forth, all the way to what Paul says in chapter 1 is true koinonia, true partnership. But it starts with this. It starts with the fact that we are fellow citizens uh, en route to heaven. Oh, actually, I do have it. There it is. There are the building blocks of joy. We are citizens of heaven. I don't want to spend too much time on this slide, but I trust that it will fit together well. We have three sons, Debbie and I, you know that. You know Shane very well. He's our youngest. His older brother is Eric, and our eldest is John Mark. So we have, and we call him John Mark, of course, for his life. Everyone else has called him John. But you have John Mark, Eric, and, and Shane. Michael Shane goes by Shane. Uh, but Eric is an amateur genealogist, and so several years back, and by the way, he has traced all four lines. He's traced my father's line, Whittington, my mother's line of Stromat, Debbie's father of, of Sykes, and Debbie's mother of Gray, and he's enjoyed these four genealogies. Uh, several years ago, he said, Dad, why don't we go to Amite County, Mississippi? 
for a, a vacation together. And I said, great, what in the world is in Amite County, Mississippi? And he said, there's a cemetery there where 75% of the graves are Whittington's, including your great-great-great-great-grandfather Cornelius Whittington, who was a soldier in the American Revolution, and as soon as I go through the archival stuff, I was living in Virginia at the time, uh, we're going to become sons of the American Revolution. I said, great, we had a wonderful vacation in Amite County, Mississippi. And we were saying Amity, but we, as soon as we got there, we realized it's not Amity, it's Amite. I should have known Mississippi would pronounce it Amite County. In any case, this is the headstone, obviously erected by the descendants of Cornelius. Um, very quickly, the story, and we're going to make a real good connection, I pray, but um, Eric actually started here, and then he worked back to Cornelius's grandfather, which was the first uh, Whittington who came from England, in six, he was born in 1698 in Maryland, and he and his, his wife, the family, moved from Maryland to Virginia, where he had uh, John Jr., and then John Jr. and his family moved to Georgia, where Cornelius uh, was born, and from, actually, he was born in Virginia, wasn't he? And then, but, the, but they moved to Georgia. There were four of the boys, Cornelius and his three siblings, his three brothers. They then, after the Revolutionary War, the War of Independence, and they all four fought in that war, they then traveled to Mississippi, and they're in the first families of Mississippi. If you go in any kind of library anywhere and look up first families, you'll find this name, Cornelius Whittington. Cornelius' son was Moses. Moses' son, one of his sons, my direct line, went through William, from William to Thomas, my great-grandfather, from Thomas to Ebenor Clyde, from Ebenor Clyde to Royston, my dad, and to me. Going back to, and then... Of course, you pick up with Shane and Lawson, Sonora, and Gracie. They're the 11th generation of Whittingtons in either the American colonies or the United States of America. And sure enough, Eric did send that parchment, Sons of the American Revolution. It's hanging in my office, and I just got a big kick out of it. It's wonderful. It's also sobering to know that I'm the patriarch. What do all of our ancestors have in common? They're dead. You don't, you don't they're dead, all right? I was asking my grandson about that, and he said, they're dead. I said, yeah, they're dead, you know? And then he talked about, well, you know, Pop, when you die, then, then I guess daddy's next. I said, yeah, you're right, yeah, that's the way it goes. 11 generations to Michael Lawson. I want you to know, church, that, uh, that I'm a proud American. We are proud to live here in America. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. We would go someplace else. We speak American English. There's all sorts of English in the world. There's British English, Australian English, Caribbean English. Our brother Patterson English is his first language, but it's a Caribbean English accent. 
And we even have different dialects and accents right here in our own country. I came from Texas, and it did take me a while. I, I moved to Alabama for five years in Montgomery, and, and some of you Tennesseans have it thick, but they really have it thick there. It took me a while to finally figure out what some of them are saying. But we speak American English. We are ruled under American law. I served in the American military. By the way, Cornelius got a little pension too. Do you know what his pension was? Serving, he had to serve at least two years. It was $5 a year. But then, after that, he fought it and fought it and fought it, trying to get the pension, which he never got. And two months before he died, he received his pension. It was 98 cents, his last check, or not check, I don't know how they did it, but, you know, 98 cents. Well, I can tell you that our American government has done better for me than that. Yeah. Anyway, here we are in Tennessee. We moved from, Missis, from, uh, from Texas, right? That's our home. The, it went, and we're going to make this connection. I could stay here longer. We went from Maryland to Virginia to Georgia to Mississippi. My father was born in Memphis, kind of a little diversion. And then Grandpa Clyde, who was a farmer in Mississippi, had to move. Things got bad. Went down to Texas, and he became a carpenter. There he built, he worked for the state of Texas building bridges. And that's where, that's where my father was raised. He met Mama and so forth. And so we went, right, Maryland, Virginia, Georgia, Mississippi, Texas, Tennessee. And probably, I'll take my last breath right here in Tennessee. That's okay. Isn't that great? So we'll have our, you know, I'll, be, I'll, I'll not be too far from that headstone. By the way, C.S. Lewis, you think this, you know, and, and I, I don't know if you enjoy hearing those things or not about your own life. It doesn't, I like it, frankly. Why? Because my commonwealth is in heaven. And from there I await the coming of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis said, think he said, set your mind on earth, and you'll miss heaven. Set your mind on heaven, and you'll get both. The more we understand that our commonwealth is in heaven, the more joy we experience here on earth. This is, these are the ruins of Philippi. Is a 15,000 citizens in, its, in the first century. Really, it, it existed for about 500 years, longer than America's been around, longer than John Sr. Whittington was, was born in Maryland, 1698. Before that, Philippi was there for a half a millennium. It's gone now. Kavala's close by. Those are the ruins of Philippi. And I can tell you that when it came to Philippi, Philippi was a Roman colony, as I shared with you last week. Why is that important? Because it sets the stage for the building blocks of joy. Paul understood that Philippi was 60% proud Greek, Thrace, Macedonia, Greece, Achaia, proud Greek and 40% were proud Romans. You could gain your citizenship in, in Rome in, in three different ways. You could either be born a Roman citizen like the great apostle Paul was and had to use it more than once. Acts 16, the tribune in Jerusalem was getting ready to flog Paul. He had already put chains on him. Finally, Paul told the centurion, is this how you treat a Roman citizen? 
Well, the Roman centurion was caught off guard. He goes to the tribune. He tells the tribune, this man's a Roman citizen. The tribune goes before Paul, Acts 16.31, and, uh, and, and said and asked, are you a Roman citizen? And Paul said, yes, I am. And the tribune said, it cost me a large sum of money to become a citizen. And Paul said, I was born one. Ooh. Tribune, tribune. It's only under the legate. We're talking about in the military today, that would be a minimum of a full colonel and probably a brigadier general. We're talking somebody in high military rank. He was afraid. Why? He hadn't flogged Paul yet, but he did put him in bonds and chains, and that was against Roman law. I want you to know that the third way of becoming a Roman citizen, other than being born and spending a lot of money, was as a gift from the Senate to all of their military officers who served, without being a citizen, who served in the Roman legions honorably for decades and decades. And as a result, the Senate awarded them a parcel of land in various colonies and citizenship. And in Philipp Philippi, 40% of the population were, were ex-Roman officers and officials citizens. And as you read through Philippians 1, 2, and 3, you're, you begin to pick this up. These are proud people. And so Paul very delicately reminds them in Philippians 3, 20, talking to the church now. By the way, who's in the church? You think we're diverse here at Antioch? And we are. Nothing like the Philippi Church of Christ was. They were really diverse. Not just Roman, but Thracians, Macedonians, Achaeans, Greeks, uh, a handful of Jews. They had a very small Jewish community, but nonetheless, many of, some of them were, were, were um, you know, uh, in, in Christ. So you've got, they spoke Greek, some Hebrew, and Latin. I mean, that was their first language. And that's what they were speaking in this little church in Philippi in Lydia's house. Don't you know that they had to wonder, what, what do we sing in? <laughs> Maybe that was trilingual. Who knows what they did? Paul recognizes that the body of Christ in Philippi is diverse. And he wants them to remember, you are not diverse. You are not Romans and Greeks and Jews. You are Christian. And how do we know we're not diverse? Because our citizenship is in heaven. We are citizens of heaven. So Paul 3.20 says, but our commonwealth is in heaven. And then he adds the word, therefore. Therefore, stand firm in the Lord. Therefore, rejoice in the Lord. And therefore, have peace in the Lord. Now, 
it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that Paul is saying, if your commonwealth is not in heaven, then I suspect that you, are, you don't persevere very well. You don't stand firm very well. You're probably not all that joyous because you're so concerned about this life. After all, when you're dead, you're dead, and you have no peace. And Paul said there's no joy with that formula. If you really want to be joyful... First, understand that your citizenship is not Venezuela, not the United States, not the ultimate commonwealth. It's heaven. Stand firm in the Lord. This is what he says in verse 1, our common, in 3.20. Our commonwealth is in heaven, therefore stand firm in the Lord. It is a, it's a stationary perseverance. And there are times that we simply need to persevere. And in times of sickness and illness and separation and death and decay and loss of job and you fill in the blank, during those moments, not only do we not persevere very well, we're miserable in the process. And if you really feel that way, Paul wants to remind you this will pass. And the reason it will pass is because this is not your citizenship home it will pass. So therefore, stand firm in the Lord. How do we stand firm in the Lord? How do we persevere in the Lord? Well, we rely upon our own faith, and we rely that God is always with us. One of my favorite verses of Scripture is in Deuteronomy 31.6. Moses, who's considerably older than I am right now, Moses was getting ready to die. Did it bother him that much? No. He was kind of anxious about it. But he felt responsible because he was the chosen leader. And he had already passed the baton to Joshua, and God's already working with him to pass that baton, and every baton is passed. Everyone. From, in my line, from Cornelius down, the baton's been passed. And so what Moses did was, before the people crossed the Jordan River, Moses said, Be strong and courageous and fear not. The Lord your God is with you. Be strong and courageous and fear not. We have a song like that, do we not? Be strong and courageous, whatever, however it goes. Be strong and courageous. I'll tell you what, church, you want to stand firm in the faith. You want to stand firm in the Lord. You want to be able to, to, to persevere no matter what comes your way. Then remember that this is not your battle. By the way, Moses is a beautiful chapter. You ought to read it. In the 31st chapter, Moses already lays out to all the people, God is already over the river. He's, he's already past the river. He's on the other side. He's with us. He, he's already won the battles. They've already been defeated. God is sovereign. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow. He knows exactly what, not only what you're feeling, He knows what you'll be doing and thinking and feeling tomorrow. And a year from now, if indeed I'm still here a year from now, God knows. And that's comforting. And so Paul tells the Philippian church, this very diverse church, he says, stand firm in the Lord. 
and rejoice. You don't just stand firm and fret. You stand firm and you're joyful. Now notice what this says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. He mentions the verb twice, by the way, rejoice, rejoice. But you know the word that catches my attention is not the word rejoice. I think the operative word here is the word always. Rejoice in the Lord always. How is that even possible? It's possible because joy is not contingent on circumstances. Joy does not depend on things going just right. Never did, never has, doesn't, never will. Happy does. You know, when I'm sick, I'm not happy. Neither are you. You know, when, when I, you know, when, when, I don't know, I could think of a jillion illustrations. Whenever, whenever Shane went to Lipscomb and we were over in Hawaii, I mean, our, we didn't leave, I mean, our sons never left us to go to college. We always left them. I didn't feel guilty about it, but it bothered Debbie. We were leaving them. Sad moments. Still could be joyful, just not giddy happy. So it's very possible that one can be joyful in the most dire of circumstances. This is what you need to remember. Joy is not contingent. It is not dependent on circumstances. Joy asks only one question. Who's in charge? Who's in control? That's why Paul in Romans, when he was clarifying the gospel and unifying the church and revealing God's righteousness and they were going through tough times in Rome, Paul said, if God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8.31. So, what difference does it make if our commonwealth is in heaven? Why do we need to think of that? Because the moment we really start to get it, the more we get it, it's in direct proportion to how we can um, persevere in the Lord, stand firm in the Lord. It's in direct proportion to how we rejoice in the Lord, and it's in direct proportion as to whether or not we have peace. Have no anxieties about anything. Now, keep it mind the context. Philippians 3, 20, but our commonwealth, and, and to really understand the conjunction but in, in, in English, B-U-T, you've got to read before that, but our commonwealth in heaven, therefore, have no anxieties about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving in your heart, let your requests be made known before God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Church, we have peace in the Lord because our commonwealth, our citizenship is in heaven. If my citizenship was solely and exclusively, if it began and ended on terra firma, on the earth. Well, I just simply couldn't handle the problems that would come my way. I would have anxieties and fears and worries. In fact, 
when we do, and we all do, when we do feel anxious and we're worried and we're fearful, take a step back and remind yourself of all of these truths. The primary truth is God is with you. And if God is with us, who can be against us? Peace has always been defined, in Scripture anyway, as discovering God's presence within the storm. It was never the cessation of the storm. You never read the word, in in both Testaments, you don't read the word peace associated with everything's just hunky-dory. Everything is um, just fine, right? You only read peace when God's presence is there. Then there's true peace. Um, I have on the screen here depression, and I'll, I'll not spend much time on it because of the sake of time, but I can tell you that the number one mental illness, and it makes sense, in America and probably the world today is depression, and the number one cause for depression is somehow believing that there is no one there to share your burden. You have to carry it all by yourself. the, The cause of depression is aloneness. And how many times has God reminded us, I am with you? If everyone, we're going to close with this text, if everyone completely understood this sentiment of Luke 23, 46, if everyone understood that in America, in the world today, it would be the solution to all of our problems. It would be the answer to every worry, every fear, and every anxiety. Last, last words are important. I don't know how, you know, we, 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 none of us understand the circumstances that we'll be going through when we take our last breath. And it may not work out this way. I hope I have the opportunity to share a few words with my family. That's what I hope. It may not work that way, so you kind of want to share them like right now. But the fact is, last words mean something. Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, as a compilation, had seven last words on the cross. Very important words. Why? Because he chose, he selected those words knowing he would soon be dead, later raised, but knowing this was it for him. Seven last words. And the seventh last word contained seven words. Luke 23, 46. Father, Abba, into your hands I commit my spirit. Last word. That's how he lived his life. That's how he died. And now he's with the Lord forever, and he's going to come again and take us with him. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Church, if there's one thing that we could take, not just from this lesson, I basically only have one sermon. It's just I use different words every Sunday, but it's basically one message. I think because all of Scripture is one message. The one message from Scripture is God is with you. That's it. God is with you. And if you receive him, he'll be with you forever. It's that simple. Genesis to Revelation. 
God with us, Emmanuel. It's not just a Christmas message. It is a lifelong, eternal message. Into your hands I commit my spirit. I would encourage every person here, every time you have a worry, every time you have a concern, every time you fret, every time there's a fear, every time you hurt, every time you want to cry because of sadness, you remember those words and you just give it all to the Lord. Into your hands I commit and then you fill in the blank. Into your hands, Lord. I'm, I'm through with this. I can't do anything else. It breaks my heart. Into your hands, I commit it. And the moment we do that, each time we do it, there is a sense of peace. Why? Because God's present. And in God's presence, there's joy. Joy. I do encourage you, brothers and sisters... I think that's the last one. I do encourage you to pray this prayer, just like your Lord Jesus Christ did. Into your hands I commit myself, my family, the Antioch Church, the person who fills the pulpit after I do. Into your hands, Lord, these are my prayers. Into your hands I commit my calling. Help me fulfill my calling. into your hands. And so we can also pray that prayer. And I encourage you this morning, as we stand, please stand, and as our shepherds come forth, invite the elders to walk down to the front. As our song director, Brother Joe David, leads us, be joyful, be joyful. Remember the words of Lewis. I'm going to repeat it one time, and then we're going to start singing. Set your mind on earth, and you'll miss heaven. Set your mind on heaven, and you'll gain both. Amen.